since the introduction of welfare reform in 2012-13, we have seen a shift away from state to individual responsibility to manage money and your benefits. Once you're deemed too poor to pay council tax and you would get full council tax support, nearly every council in the UK now expects residents to make some contribution towards council tax. To balance the books of local council finances, year on year, councils increase council tax bill to pay for public services. From April 2023, we are to see council to increase council tax bill even more. To recover such a tax for those who either can't afford to pay or will not pay may involve use of enforcement agents. The question then is, is this fair? Welcome to Debt Talk Podcast with me as your Dr. Debt Ripon Ray. The topic I'm to speak about with my panel members in this episode, as you have guessed it, council tax, debt and enforcement. To help me navigate today's subject and provide you with tips in this month's episode, I have Samantha Nurse, fan of debt advice charity Money Advice Hub, who is also an ambassador for Money Advice Liaison Group. And finally, Russell Hamlin Boone, Chief Executive Officer at Civil Enforcement Association, who has played an important role in shaping the development of Enforcement Conduct Board, which is to regulate enforcement agents that oversee council tax debt recovery. I must say that I have approached a number of council to take part in this episode to explain from their point of view. I can totally understand that they have rejected my invitation. Let me, however, begin this month's discussion with Samantha Nurse, who has extensive knowledge on council tax due to her experience in being part of the debt sector for many years. Samantha, can you outline how does a council works out how council tax should be paid? Um, so when we're looking at council tax and the way it's calculated, it's used um, for the good of the public services in the local area and it informs the budget of certain areas of advice and delivery for the local area. So as with other um, cost of living rises and income increase, increases, the council has those same uh, priorities to look at each year. So in a sense, uh, the council tax that we pay is our contribution to the local area and helps our local services. It's in, in our interests to pay it. And that's why it's designated as a priority collection um, of debt. So it's a, a bit of a double-edged sword when it comes to debt advice, because if people can't pay their council tax, they can't pay it. Um, but on the other hand, if the local council doesn't get uh, their revenue for council tax, then it brings with them some issues about delivering local services in the area to residents. So there, there is a balance to be had with it. 
But in terms of working out number of households that live in the in a home based on band system as well as oh, I see. Your own low income, I see. how would that work? <laughs> yes, there's an there's quite an old banding system which is to do with the square footage of the property. So there are some uh issues with that banding um, and even major issues if you try to challenge it because if you challenge the banding of your home and you lose and they decide it needs to increase then the residents next to you your neighbors um, may be very upset with you because theirs will have been increased as well there is some unfairness to it and it needs to be looked at um, but there it doesn't seem to be much focus on doing that at the moment so let's say, for example, in terms of council tax support versus the size of the property and number of people living in that house, how would all those things blend together? OK, so the unfairness of the element of council tax and the way it's calculated is that it is actually calculated on the square footage of the property. And it doesn't matter how many people are living in that property. If you are a single person, you are entitled to a £25 single, uh, sorry, 25% single person's discount. Um, but other than that, you could have multiple residents in the property, including lots of children. And uh, your council tax is, your council tax support is reduced um, to a maximum level, but there is still something left to pay for a lot of families. And it is income related. So, families that are going out to work and maybe have work costs, um, it doesn't make a difference to the council tax decision. They will decide whether they can have council tax support based on a set uh, rigid criteria. Looking at your debt hub, what, what types of people are finding themselves financially struggling from what you're seeing? From what we're seeing, it's it's not a classified area. Everybody is suffering from the top end of the salary ranges to the mid range to the lower income families with uh, benefits. We're not seeing any differences between who is coming to reach um, for help. They can be easily on £60,000 a year. We've had clients with that income bracket. So it seems to be the cost of living crisis um, after the pandemic has snowballed a situation where people's incomes have been squeezed, people are losing jobs, they're having pay freezes, the cost of living has gone up um, and nobody has any money in their budgets. In fact, what we're seeing is a massive increase in people with deficit budgets, which uh, some people say cannot exist, but believe me, they absolutely do. The reason for that may be that there's family helping, third parties involved, the odd food bank voucher, fuel voucher that the uh, not-for-profit organisations give out to people can help manage a deficit budget for a short period. But it is an extremely worrying area of finance in the UK um, moving forwards with the energy uh, crisis that we're in. Although you mentioned about how the crisis is severe where it's hitting a lot of people and you are seeing deficit budget, but that doesn't necessarily stop the recovery process for councils. So what steps do councils take to recover the debts? Um, well, different local authorities work in different ways. They're all uniquely um, enabled to do different things. So 
Um, Money Advice Hub has a local authority contract to deliver debt advice and income maximisation. So it's helping its residents and points its residents to uh, for debt advice and income maximisation as one of the methods. Um, but also if there are hard to reach people or there are residents who don't engage with the local authority, then they tend to be passed over to enforcement agents to recover the debt. But how many ways can a council recover the debt? Is it just simply enforcement through um, civil enforcement or bailiffs or any other ways? Well, the the most logical way is to try and reach an amicable repayment plan with the local authority. And local authorities do try very hard to achieve that. But they often have policies that mean that the debt has to be repaid back within a 12 month period. And that's very restrictive for our clients who are often reorganizing their debts over much longer periods of time. Um, They can also um, apply for an attachment of earnings order once they have a liability order in place. Um, Ultimately, um, they can go for committal if they think that someone is willfully neglecting to pay their council tax. But in the main, they do seem to default to um, enforcement agent action. So they're, by virtue, contracting out the recovery of that debt to enforcement agents or bailiffs, as they were known previously. I know I started with speaking about welfare reform. What has a welfare reform actually done to the benefit system and most importantly, council tax? Okay, so under the old rules of council tax, more people um, benefited from the reduction of their council tax in full. Um, Some people are having to contribute something um, as part of that reform. Um, Also, the DWB did some uh, reviews or made the local authorities do some reviews and a lot of people were under scrutiny for housing benefit and that uh, by virtue council tax um, reduction through that review process. A lot of the clients that we've been coming across had their claims ceased because they hadn't fulfilled the requirements to produce evidence again. Um, Some of that was down to them not reading the letters or not receiving the letters and not receiving emails. But there was a review conducted at the, the behest of the government that made that some people uh, came off just at the wrong time during the COVID pandemic. Um, some people will have, would have benefited from that and maybe had their housing benefit and council tax reduction increased. Um, but we've seen a lot of the casualties of that exercise where their, their claim was reassessed and, and evidence was requested. In regards to the current situation with the cost of living crisis, and also if you look at the the economic situation with central government and local government, the local authorities are stretched and are being cut with their own budgets. They've had to um, provide extra finances to their communities during the pandemic. They've also had to react very quickly during the pandemic, as we have with hybrid working and setting up schemes, government schemes very quickly for locals. So um, everybody's feeling very stretched um, and the local authorities are, are no different to the rest of us in that fact. So they're looking to recover um, old council tax debts and do quicker recovery action now um you know to be blunt about it they're they're trying to bring money in because they've lost money 
um, and they're trying to recoup like everybody else is in, in the UK economy. Okay, let me um, get Russell into the conversation. Russell, I know you're pretty much at the sharpest end of enforcement and most importantly, uh, enforcement of council tax. I mean, do you personally feel the current uh, regime of enforcement is fit for purpose? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, as, as Sam said, councils have got uh, a statutory obligation to collect council tax from every household except those who require welfare support. And if you look at the figures, local authorities collected um, around about £34 billion in council tax for the year 2021-22, with an average collection rate of just under 96%. It only fell very uh, uh, a little bit during COVID and is on its way back up again. So even with the impact of COVID, they've, had, they've got really good um, collection rates. Having said that, there's still around about £5 billion uncollected going back over a, a number of years. And that's why um, the use of civil enforcement, the use of the court's process is an integral feature of local government revenue collection. Enforcement uh, is and always should be a last resort when all the other attempts to recover money have been exhausted by the councils themselves. But it's a really vital tool for local authorities to recover important revenue, as Sam said, to support public services and ensure fairness. And that um, it's, a, it's, it's a method that's widely supported by taxpayers. We did a poll with uh, YouGov just uh, sort of round about pandemic time um, and found that over 80% of UK adults think that levels of non-payment would remain or get worse if local councils couldn't resort to the use of, of enforcement agents. Um, and our own research um, using uh, sort of economic analysts uh, found that non-compliance non to pay debts to public bodies, if there wasn't some sort of enforcement, would cost £12 billion, so that would be £12 billion in lost revenue to, um, to central and local government. And you also have to bear in mind that the efficiency is maintained by um, prescriptive regulations and making sure that enforcement agents work to certain standards. <clears throat> we have an independently monitored code of practice. We've got tightly controlled service level agreements as part of the contracts with councils and now we've got our new oversight body, the Enforcement Conduct Authority. So as well as being fit for purpose, it's incredibly efficient and, uh, and you know, the envy of the world in, in how well our councils are at being able to recover high levels of council tax. If you had Enforcement Conduct Board now, what has been the driving force for that if things were perfect early on? Um, well, the, the, the driving force has been um, about the industry wanting to continue on a path of improvement. Um, the Enforcement Conduct Board is based on a concept that the industry itself developed, and I and other firms were members of the task group that worked with the debt advice sector to develop a model for independent oversight of our sector. We recognised that actually by coming together, there was a lot more common ground. We had the same objectives, which was to help people to 
um, resolve their debt problems. We just had different ways of approaching it. And the industry has been on a path of improvement to raise standards, to provide consistent service and identify substandard conduct. And that all began uh, a few years back with the revised independently monitored code of practice, which was built on new regulations that came into enforce in 2014 to try to bring more consistency to the way enforcement agents worked. And in turn, that's led to things like the voluntary adoption of body-worn video cameras, which all of our members now comply with. Uh, we introduced post-pandemic support measures, recognising the challenges that people would have as a result of COVID. So the Enforcement Conduct Board is, is just the next stage of evolution to ensure that civil enforcement meets the requirements of the public sector. We'd probably like to see a bit more um, consistency in enforcement practices, and that would be another driver. The process, while it's highly prescribed in regulations, right down to what days and times an enforcement visit, uh, enforcement agent can visit, and what items he or she can take into control and potentially sell. Um, an area where we'd expect the Enforcement Conduct Board to concentrate is complaints handling. At the moment, your complaint is handled by a different process depending on the type of debt you have. And we want it to be the case that your complaint will be handled exactly the same regardless of the type you owe, uh, the type of debt you owe. And this is something that's under discussion with the Enforcement Conduct Board directors and with the local government ombudsman and with the Ministry of Justice. I mean, you talked about in, in detail in terms of um, um, evolution of enforcement as an industry on the whole, but are all enforcement the same? Yeah, I mean, the process of enforcement is the same and uh, different debts are enforced in different ways. The principle of enforcement being part of a social justice system that means that we as taxpayers are treated fairly and that we're not subsidizing people who don't pay their debts is pretty much a you know a, a recognized principle of the social justice system but we also recognize that the cost of living has exacerbated the situation that sam was talking about that arose from um, changes to the benefits meaning more people paying tax and the role of enforcement um, has changed to incorporate more training to identify and respond to higher incidents of vulnerability. And often an enforcement agent is the first person to make contact with an individual because that person's become so overwhelmed with all of their debt types and been so worried about making contact with somebody because of you know all of the repercussions that might um, result of that, that they are burying their heads in the sand and they've sort of shut down communication and sometimes a knock at the door from an enforcement agent is the the opportunity they need to engage um, and start that dialogue where the council can understand what their situation is and we can start the whole conversation about how we um, resolve that person's debt but there are you, know, you in terms of how whether enforcement is consistent as I said, it sort of depends on the type of debt because with road traffic and parking offences and court fines and penalties, you could say that they're 
self-inflicted. It's something somebody's done wrong in order to to have generated that uh, that debt that, or that money that they owed. Whereas council tax is different. It's a recurring debt. Um, you know, you're going to get your bill next March, whatever happens, whether you're in debt or not. And clearing one debt doesn't stop you needing, you know, owing the money for that for the next year coming. Um, and with council tax, there might be good reasons that people will have missed payments and it might be a temporary solution. They could have incurred a life shock, redundancy or separation, um, bereavement or ill health. So our objective is first to engage with people at the earliest opportunity and second to understand their circumstances so that we can tailor our approach to resolve their debts. And one of the critical things about that is making contact with people. Um, and one of the changes that we've seen as a result of regulations bringing more consistency and our own reforms is things like the use of technology, kind of tech that you would see used by financial services to assess vulnerability, um, looking at, um, Sam talked about income maximisation and benefits calculators, um, income and expenditure checks. All of those things are, are standard practices in civil enforcement, and you see you see them replicated as you would in in the sort of consumer finance credit, consumer credit and, and financial services market. And we use things like data analytics as part of the process. So you so you might do some analytics to try to filter out vulnerable people from those who need to be pursued more rigorously by the enforcement process. You might look at uh, behavioural insight, um, finding ways to improve levels of engagement, kind of nudge techniques to get people to respond um, to, to your um, inquiries about their situation and your um, requests for them to make their payments. And then you might have multi-channel communications, which are you know, being used by all sorts of firms now. We've got things like self-serve apps, which are all about establishing a dialogue, helping people to find different ways to engage, even if they don't want to pick up the phone and have a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody about their debts. There are different ways that we can you know, find to communicate with them. No doubt, using different channels and different methods and getting in, uh, getting to technology to um, recover debts. But no doubt there is also cost and benefit involved. Do you think councils should bring enforcement in-house or should it remain private? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. And, the, and, and some... Some councils are looking at that option as part of their, you know, the challenges they've got with austerity and trying to um, fill the holes in the budget that they they incurred as a result of extra costs during the pandemic. And we've actually got two um, in-house teams in, in within Civia membership. Um, but at the same time, civil enforcement um, in the public sector is highly specialised. And enforcement agents need expensive body-worn video cameras, for example. <clears throat> they need high-quality training. They have to be um, compliant with all the regulations. And all of that is onerous and costly. And it might explain why I often get lots of inquiries from council teams about becoming CIVIA members who are thinking about 
um, setting up in for in-house teams. Um, but I think when they see the the rigorous requirements of our independently monitored code, and they see the costs that are being incurred in order to continually improve our service, everything goes very quiet, and I don't get many follow-ups with um, with applications. And the other important point is that any council undertaking in-house enforcement would need to be supervised by the Enforcement Conduct Board. And my members are happy to cooperate. As you've said, we were kind of one of the driving forces behind the establishment of independent oversight. And, and our firms are, will open themselves up and, and, and open their practices to scrutiny. And some in-house teams may not be so comfortable to, to face that level of investigation into how their field agents would operate or are operating. Ultimately, councils are responsible for the action of uh, civil enforcement. And what is your take on uh, when uh, a vulnerable uh, resident states that the, my case ought to go back to the council, but it's not happening? I don't, I don't know what the evidence is that it's not happening. In most cases where there's genuine vulnerability, um, and meaning someone can't make payments or they can't resolve their debt, the case is firstly put on hold so there's no further action, and then the individual is passed back to the council to get the appropriate support uh, benefits or, or whatever. And if that doesn't happen, enforcement firms have their own in-house welfare teams who work with people who might need help to pay through affordable instalments um, who may not be the sort of severe cases that the council would say you know we need to take that, that back off you um, it might just need that somebody um, in a vulnerable situation needs some help to pay their debts being vulnerable doesn't necessarily mean that you're financially incapable um, but you might be invulnerable, vulnerable for a temporary reason, um, and you need some sort of um, uh, lenience or, or forbearance. So each case is treated individually, and it's not the case that anyone is sort of left in the enforcement process um, because the councils are, are reluctant to take them back. Well, that's not my experience of it anyway. How does an enforcement agent make money? It sort of makes you wonder, doesn't it, given the high costs associated with um, with the collections and the fact that um, the fees uh, were set 10 years ago and haven't been reviewed since, despite all of the rising costs and all of the, the, the tech solutions and things I've told you that they've, they've, they've invested in. And you can add to that um, all of the you know electric vehicles, the debt respite scheme, uh, maintenance and servicing of their vehicle fleet the advanced use of IT infrastructures, body-worn video, huge, huge costs being piled onto enforcement firms, and yet the fee structure continues to be fixed, and the fees were set 10 years ago and are probably not really reflected of the costs. Um, so having said that, um, in terms of how an enforcement agent makes money, makes, makes money um, the... Um, the, the value of the debt and the cost incurred to recover it are spread pro rata so that the council or the public office that they're working for gets a share and the enforcement gets a share where there's um, a replace, replacement plan in place. Um, um, but many cases are 
often found to be in hardship. And so the costs incurred to trace and visit someone are lost revenue um, and the council will waive the fees. So it's not always the case that um, even in some cases where, where debts are collected, that um, enforcement firms get the, the full share of the fees. So it is a, um, an area that needs to be looked at in order that we continue to have a viable and sustainable um, enforcement sector. Um, and also because if we have um, well-paid or properly paid enforcement agents doing the most professional job they can, we can continue to drive up standards and make sure there isn't a slip in standards in order to kind of, uh, you know, cut corners and, and reduce costs. So what can councils and enforcement board do to ease the pressure during cost of living for many vulnerable communities? The councils are doing very well in terms of, we've talked about their collection rates, um, and we've talked about their efficient use of the enforcement process. Um, Sam's talked about support services, and 60% of council revenue is spent on services like adult and children's services, as well as you know other services that support vulnerable, vulnerable people. So maximising recovery of unpaid council tax is critical for future funding. Um, they are, um, at the same time, looking to segment their residents who have debts so that the right cases are passed for enforcement and those people who are uh, in, in, in genuine vulnerability that need additional support aren't sort of push down the enforcement route when that actually is going to be more detrimental and perhaps cause more distress to them, then recognising that the sort of the, the, the short-term um, costs of not recovering debts immediately and helping people um, prevents further harm down the line, which is actually more costly to the council when, when you know, people in hardship are having to rely on, on council services. So I think there's a changing conversation going on. Things like councils are requiring debt to be collected within the uh, within the financial year. They're allowing uh, enforcement agents to give longer um, repayment plans. And they're looking at um, debt resolution strategies, um, it, not just in a silo. So they're looking to draw data from different parts of the council maybe in the housing department or a different benefits department and trying to get um, a, a broader picture of an individual circumstances rather than simply, you know, the guy in the council tax department seeing that someone's missed a payment and therefore it immediately goes into the process. They're trying to understand a bit more about what might be an individual circumstances and what might be the reason, you know, for maybe somebody who always um, makes their payment suddenly not making their payment rather than putting them into the problem debt case, um, putting them, you know, look, looking at them and seeing if there's more that can be done to resolve that person's problem quickly and get them back on track. Um, because we're, you know, we're, we're post COVID, we're seeing, um, and Sam alluded to it, a different cohort of people. It's not just um, people who pre-pandemic who were struggling those people sadly are probably still struggling but a you know a new demographic of people who were just about managing or people who were doing very well but had lost their jobs in covid so those people facing financial shocks 
are suddenly coming into the system where they might be missing payments and being treated like um, uh, sort of, uh, you know, a deviance and miscreants when, when in fact they just made a mistake and they don't need the full weight of the enforcement agent's process and the courts and everything else to get them back on track. And it might seem a bit of a, an odd thing to say, but the firms that I represent would be quite happy to get less, a, a smaller number of cases being passed to them if that smaller number of cases were always the type of people that needed to have the, you know, the, the, the full weight of the court's process and the enforcement um, action taken against them because they had willfully decided that they weren't going to pay their fines or their penalties or the tax or whatever, and that it already filtered out all of those people who were genuinely struggling and needed help further up the line and didn't need to be, you know, in this sort of more um, officious enforcement process. And that's part of the challenge that we've we've got now is, you know, making sure that the right people are treated in the right way and that we're not causing more harm through a process that's very efficient, um, but actually might be being applied to people for the wrong reasons. Let me get Sam back to the conversation. Sam, what is your thought on what Russell has said so far? Thanks, Russell. Um, well, one of the important things that I wanted to pick up on was that Russell didn't actually answer a question that you asked, and I think it is a very pertinent one, so I'm going to make sure that I answer it which is the way that enforcement agents make a living is they have a standard salary and they often work on a commission basis. And why is that so important? Well, it means that there's an emphasis on them earning income. And I do have some bailiffs that are clients of mine um, because they're under the, you know, they're under strain as well, because if they don't collect money on a certain day, um, then they also are under pressure with their finances. And what that does is it puts a little bit more pressure on those agents to perhaps not conduct themselves in the way that their executives would like them to. And we see this in a lot of large form firms and organisations where the will at the top is to do the right thing and to follow all the policies out there, but the people delivering it on the ground and not obeying those rules. And I do have some very good examples of that where um, we did a complaint. Um, the bailiff said one thing, the client said another, and we requested the body camera footage. They told us originally that they had it and that's why they were um, sticking to their side of the story. Then when push came to shove, mysteriously, the camera didn't work. So uh, the footage wasn't available to us. We had another incident where an elderly couple had to call the police on the bailiff because he wouldn't leave their property. He was trying to take um, control of their vehicle, but the creditor had called the enforcement agent off. The police were called and the police uh, actually gave the bailiff a fine for a bald tyre. Uh, so uh, I know Russell said that, that, that the will is to um, collect council tax, but there are incidents out there of, of malpractice. And I think, you know, I don't want to be disparaging about the firms out there that are trying to do right and, and do all these policies and follow the right processes. But where you have agents on the ground that are living on low means themselves and reliant on commission, that is a very big consideration 
in how this is all going to work fairly for people. I also take issue with something that Russell said, nothing personal to you, Russell, um, but I don't like the fact that the bailiff or the enforcement agent is the first person that calls on the client's door. There's very good reasons for that, because if that isn't a positive experience for them, they may go further down into the burying their head in the sand and feeling distressed. But the second more important reason is regulation. So if that client has some credit debts there, they should be seeing a regulated debt advisor, not um, dealing with bailiffs and not dealing with the rest of their debt. So that is a big concern for me, is that whole default system of using enforcement agents when the local authority doesn't know about the other debts. And we've talked about what's going out there in the context of things. I'm dealing with clients that have over £10,000 of rent arrears. Okay, there's a £1,000 of priority uh, council tax, but those rent arrears are a priority debt as well. So without knowing that client's full picture of their finances, I don't see that the bailiffs do or the enforcement agents serve a great purpose in dealing with people that are indebted in society. Um, I don't agree that councils are doing all that they can, although I do accept that some have better standards than others of recovery. Um, and I'd like to point to the issues that I see that local authorities could and should be addressing with urgency. One of them is that they don't routinely accept the standard financial statement guidelines. Some do, some don't. And that means when the enforcement agents are negotiating with the client, they have their own constraints. So it's kind of not the bailiff's fault um, because the client is telling them that they don't accept standard financial statements. But again, I refer to our regulation and, and pose the question, why do we have these ridiculous, complicated inconsistencies where to arrive at a repayment or a debt solution with a, a credit-related debtor, um, we we can use the standard financial statement, but with local authorities, we can't. So, and why is it that some local authorities will use it and some won't? So I think there's something, those things need to be addressed very, very quickly. I alluded to the differences in how council taxes build in my early statement. I just wanted to um, hone in on a difference that occurred when I was talking to someone about council tax bans and how much charges are. So in Westminster, the cost of a band D property is the same as a band A property in Nottingham. How is that fair? It's not fair. Um, there's a great disparity there. Westminster has high earning levels, high income levels, and yet some people are living in posh pads and paying very little council tax. That is not fair and needs to be addressed with proper reform of the billing process of council tax. The other thing I'd like to hone in on is the lack of client data and contacts that each local authority has. In fact, if going back to what Russell said about the demographic changing, if you don't have a live claim for council tax reduction, then the local authority is far less um, likely to have your up-to-date contact details. 
And therefore, when they're sending letters out, if people are under pressure and don't open their post, then they may not even realise the local authority is trying to reach them and threatening those recovery processes. So another thing that local authorities can do, and the reform might actually address, is actually mandating that people keep their, their contacts up to date. There are some GTPR issues around all of this, um, but it's sensible and proactive to have up-to-date contact details for people um, if they're residents, and they have a responsibility to, to pay their council tax. I completely agree with the responsibility to pay council tax, um, but I do think there's so much more that local authorities uh, could do about this. So, thank you, Sam. Thank you. I'm sorry. sure a long <laughs> list anyway, but I do want to thank you both Russell and Sam. Um, and don't forget, you'll also be uh, giving us tip, top tips from both of your point of view. Um, to my listeners, if you are interested in, in me doing a specific subject on Debt Book Podcast, you can get in touch with me. Also, you can find me on Twitter, Your Dr. Debt, and also on yourdoctordebt.com, the website. The subject matter so far we have discussed with my panel members has been council tax, debt and enforcement. To the constructive twist to this podcast, let me now ask my panellists what tips they would give to my listeners when it comes to dealing with the cost of living crisis on the subject matter, council tax, debt and enforcement. So let me just start with Russell. Okay, well, as we're um, trading anecdotes um, and, and Sam was saying she didn't like people knocking on the door, I was um, shadowing an enforcement agent in Swansea and um, we could tell that this person, you know, from the sort of state of their home um, was struggling financially. And uh, when, when she opened the door, she had two little children asleep on the sofa behind her in the city room. And she was panicking because she'd um, got uh, um, a debt that was £300. And, be and because she'd had two or three more letters... Um, asking her to repay that debt, she thought that that was £300. And then the next letter that said £300 was another £300. And the next letter was another £300. She thought she she owed £1,200. And we were able to explain to her that they were all reminders and that the, the, the size of the debt hadn't changed. That conversation happening on the door meant that we were able to help her sort out a payment plan and get the thing get things sorted. Now, a lot of people aren't going to pick up the phone. They don't have um, access online. And, um, you know, there are many occasions with enforcement agents who have been the ones to help people in serious difficulty because nobody's known about them and they've been completely under the radar up until that point. So um, I think it's really important. And also we have to bear in mind that unlike um, consumer finance companies, they don't charge interest. Um, and they can't use all of the commercial levers that um, that uh, that other companies have. But, you know, I think, Ripon, there's an opportunity there for you to get a local authority on and talk about all of those things that I'm not going to um, not going to respond to. The most important thing, the, the one I don't, I don't have to give a list. I just have to give one, really. One thing is, if you're in debt, talk to the person you owe the money to, because nobody wants you to have more getting to more problems. No one wants you to have more costs for collecting your debt. Everybody wants you to engage at the earliest opportunity because that's the best chance you have of sorting out your problem. 
Thank you, Russell. How about Sam? What top tips do you give us? <laughs> okay. Well, the first thing I wanted to say was if you receive an enforcement agent letter, the first thing you should be doing is uh, contacting the person that you owe the money to to let them know that you, you acknowledge that there is a debt there. And then the second thing you should be doing is going to seek uh, free debt advice. Um, because that is a priority emergency situation. And there are things like the government's standard breathing space scheme that can help put everything on hold while a qualified professional looks through all of your debt picture, not just a council tax debt or one priority debt. That's very important. The other thing I would do is if you don't fancy uh, talking to a debt advisor yet, please do go on the free benefit calculators to see if you're entitled to any council tax reduction or extra benefit income. Um, and remember that when you have a change in your circumstances, when you get other benefits, it may be worth revisiting council tax reduction because you may qualify for an additional premium or an increase in it. So, Claim those discounts that you're entitled to. That's the main thing. Um, but also, don't feel alone. Lots of people out there in the same situation. It's not time to be proud. It's time to look after yourselves and your family and make sure you're getting every single bit of help out there that you can. Um, going to um, debt advice and income maximization org organizations can help you with other things, grants, food vouchers, fuel vouchers, those are my top tips. Thank you. I would like to thank Russell and Sam for giving their precious time to speak on Debt Talk podcast on council tax, debt and enforcement. For my next episode, I'm going to speak about small businesses and insolvency during the cost of living crisis. Once again, thank you for listening to Debt Talk podcast with your Dr. Debt, Ripon Ray.